like you to turn, if you will, to the passage which we have read from Matthew. Matthew chapter 25, and we have the story of the ten virgins in these first 13 verses, and that's the subject that's been allotted for this evening's message. I think we have to emphasise the fact that we do not build doctrine on parables, but parables are given to illustrate doctrine. It's an essential thing to always remember. Lots of strange notions have been pushed because people have used parables on which to build their teaching. But that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He gave parables to illustrate certain things and to emphasise things. So we read the doctrine of the Word of God and then we use the parables, we use stories, whether they're stories in the Bible or other stories for that matter, we all use stories, all preachers use stories uh, we use stories to illustrate but the Bible parables are not there for us to build our doctrine on them as far as these parables are concerned you will know of course that there are many parables on the kingdom of heaven particularly in the book of Matthew and I do learn from these parables that the kingdom of heaven speaks not only of true believers but it speaks of Christendom it speaks of those who are saved who are born again but it also speaks of those who are not saved those who are not born again if you turn back to Matthew 13 We have a lot of parables there, parables of the kingdom. But um, if you look at verse 24, it says, Another parable Jesus put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, there we have it, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed a good seed in his field. But while man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. We have tares we have tares in the field as well as wheat. And if you turn over to verse 47, you'll see the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and it gathered it of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but they cast the bad away. These parables of the kingdom remind us that there are, they are good and there are bad. There are those who are truly born again and there are those who are not. And we get it, of course, in this parable here in Matthew 25. There are the wise, those people who are ready for the coming of the bridegroom. But there are the foolish, those who are not ready. And the door was shut against them. You know, some people have tried to suggest, and this is why I mention all this, that uh, all these virgins, all these virgins were truly born again 
children. They, they represent those who are truly the Lord's. But I feel that's a wrong interpretation. The Lord is clearly showing that in the kingdom of heaven, in Christendom generally, there are those who are his. There are those who are mere professors. My father used to speak a lot about those who profess and don't possess. And sadly, Christendom is full of such. Uh, when you got to think of some of these Christian leaders, uh, it's not our place to judge any of them. We don't know what's in their hearts, but by their fruits you shall know them. And there are many in leading positions in the established church, as well as in non-conformity, who deny the word of God and go against the truth of that holy word. So, um, we are talking here, as I see it, of those, some who are wise, some who were ready, those who were foolish, those who were not ready. This is part of the Olivet Prophecy. And we read some of Matthew 24. You remember this was amongst the last days of the Lord Jesus Christ before he was taken to be crucified. And he went into the Mount of Olives, that's why it's called the Olivet Prophecy. He went to the Mount of Olives and he spake these things to his disciples. And we have a lot of remarkable teaching here. Um, Mr Newton wrote a little booklet on the prophecy of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, which we sell for £2.50. And it's a very excellent little booklet. And it goes through, just quickly, it is true, but it goes through these two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25. I could have mentioned some other literature, couldn't I? I haven't brought it, but um, Mr Newton did write a little booklet on the parables of Matthew 13, which is a very helpful booklet to have. I think we sell that for 40 pence quite reasonably. I know it's printed a long, long while ago, probably over 100 years ago, but uh, it's still, the content is good. And on, the, on this particular, on this particular um, parable of the ten virgins, Mr Horton, who was the editor of the Gospel magazine, the longest editor of the Gospel magazine, apart from Augustus Montague, top lady. Mr Horton often spoke at our SGAT meetings. That was in the days when lots of people came. But Mr Horton often spoke, and he often spoke at the conferences. And when he died, uh, Mr Framo put together a book, um, The Faith and Hope of the Future, containing lots of these messages that Mr Horton had given at our SGAT conferences. And we, we still got some of those books, hardback, and we only charge £5 for them. And his message on this parable of the ten virgins is in that book. If you wanted to order it, by all means order it. It's a, it's a good book to have. All Mr Horton's sermons were very good. And of course, he was a very remarkable man, as he edited the Gospel magazine. I just mentioned some of these things. But let us look now at the parable itself. I'd like, first of all, to mention the setting, the setting of the parable, how it is placed here. 
Secondly, I'd like to look at the story. It's a well-known story, I know. But I still feel there's a a lot that we can refresh our minds on, even though we may think we know it already. Then I'd like to talk about the solemnity, because these are very solemn things that we're handling tonight. You know, when we talk about people being shut out, shut out, it's a very solemn thing. I can't overemphasize the solemnity of it. People treat the things of God so loosely. Christians very often treat things so lightly these days. But we're talking about very, very solemn things. <coughs> and then I'd like to just mention the sermon because what Jesus preached at the end of the parable. <laughs> so there are the four little things the setting, the story, the solemnity, and the uh, sermon. The setting. The setting is important because the first word, the very first word in this chapter is then. Then. Now no words that the Lord Jesus spoke were spoken in vain. No words that God speaks are spoken in vain. When God says something, he means what he says and says what he means. And here's this little word, then. So we have to go back to to what has happened before. It's interesting these last few days, isn't it, before the actual crucifixion took place. In chapter 21, we read of Jesus sending two disciples over into a village to, to find an ass and a colt. And he says, loose them and bring them to me. And they did that. And we're told there in verse 4 of chapter 21 that it was a fulfilment of the prophet, the prophet Zechariah, as we know, if you've got a margin in your Bible, it probably says, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Zechariah did speak of these things, perhaps other prophets did as well, I don't know, but Zechariah is the one who records it, that the king would ride into Jerusalem on an ass. And perhaps you've often thought how strange that is, because kings don't ride on asses. Kings ride on horses. Perhaps you might say always in a carriage. But this is what the Bible said. That the king would ride into Jerusalem lowly and sitting on an ass. And if that is what God said through the prophet, that is what God meant. And that is what happened in due time. The Lord Jesus Christ did ride, sitting on this ass. And a great multitude spread their garments, and, and they were crying, Hosanna to the son of David. And they were saying, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. But when we go down the chapter a little bit further, we find in verse 15, when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying Hosanna to the son of David, they were so displeased. Here were the religious leaders, and they didn't think to themselves, well, this is what God said in Zechariah. What happened to the true Messiah, the true king? They didn't think like that. They were just displeased. So displeased. That's the word in there at the end of verse 15. 
And they did reject the Saviour. There may have been those who cried Hosanna, but the, the, the race generally, the people despised the Saviour. And so immediately prior to this Olivet prophecy, in chapter 23, there at the end of chapter 23, Jesus utters this sad lament. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. You know, this was the city that God had chosen to put his name there. God had been so gracious to the people of Israel. And yet they killed the prophets and stoned them that were sent unto them. And Jesus cries, How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not? The Lord Jesus would gladly have taken his people under his care, but they would not. And so he says, Your house is left unto you desolate. Ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus didn't say you won't see me ever again. He said you won't see me until a certain time. And that time is when Jerusalem shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of Jehovah. And then he went out, says chapter 24. He went out. When his disciples came unto him, he says to them, See ye not all these things? There shall be not left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. The disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple. That's what it says in verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 24. They didn't seem to grasp what he had been saying there at the end of chapter 23. And they were thinking, what a wonderful temple it was, and it must have been a wonderful temple. Perhaps not quite the same as Solomon's, but it must have been wonderful. And they loved it, didn't they? But Jesus says they're all going to be cast down, all going to be cast down, not one stone upon another. And so they ask him then this question, on the Mount of Olives, that's what we read in verse 3, when shall these things be? There are three questions they ask. When will these stones be cast down? And what shall be the sign of thy coming, thy parousia? And at the end of the eon, the age. And Jesus answers those questions. And we came in at verse 29 in our reading today which speaks specifically about the time when he will come again what will happen it will be immediately after the tribulation he's been talking about that terrible tribulation in earlier verses never a tribulation like it I think that verse 21 is hardly understandable by my poor little mind he says there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time you can hardly grasp it, can you? When you think of what some of the Protestant martyrs suffered in our country, Anna Askew on the rack before she was burnt, 
just a girl comparatively. Where I come from in Essex, we had William Hunter, just a boy of 19, burnt at the stake. Terrible. I don't feel as if I'd be wanting to face burning. And yet there's a boy of 19, boldly facing it and boldly bearing it. On the other side, in Colchester, Rose Allen, just a girl, bearing it too, but all over the place. But when you think of things like the Spanish Inquisition and what the Huguenots suffered, and Jesus says that this last tribulation would be worse than anything that ever happened before, I find it hard to grasp in my mind. But that's what Jesus said, and it's true. Some people seem to think the world is going to get better and better. But that's not what the Bible tells me. It tells me it's going to get worse and worse, particularly for Christian people. <coughs> and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Well, it's after he's been talking all about these things, and there's a lot there which we've read already in our meeting tonight. hope you've taken them in. <coughs> and particularly, perhaps I could emphasise what he said about as it was in the days of Noah. You know, I, I cannot understand those Christians who, who really expect that there's going to be a great revival because the Bible tells us that it's going to be like the antediluvian period before the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But we'll come back to them in a minute, I hope. And that's how it is. Jesus was speaking of all the things and then... Then he brings in this parable of the um, ten virgins. Perhaps I ought to just mention that he's definitely talking about his coming again. He's talking about the bridegroom coming, that's in verse 6, Behold the bridegroom cometh. And verse 10 says the bridegroom came. But it's talking about his coming If you did go back to chapter 23 in the very last verse, it says there that they wouldn't see him again till you shall say, Blessed is he that cometh. Cometh. He's speaking about his coming. His coming in the name of the Lord. And of course, the question of the the disciples in verse 3 was, What should be the sign of thy coming? And you can go right through the chapter. Verse 27 says, The lightning coming from the east and shineth even unto the west. There's nothing secret about that. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And verse 30, the verse that we've just referred to, it says, They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven. And then we've just mentioned verse 37. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. It's a continual reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ again. Verse 39. They knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall it also be also at the coming of the Son of Man. And in that little message in verse 42 about watching... He says, ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. Next, verse 44. 
In such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Verse 46, blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verse 48, it's still talking about these parables because really this, there are four parables. One is in chapter 24 about the servant and then there are three in chapter 25. But um, chap verse 48, the servant says, my Lord delayeth his coming. And verse 30 says, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when ye think not. So, it's about the coming. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking about and that is the setting of this parable. Now let's think about the story itself. Here's a story about ten virgins. They took their lamps, went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. But they went to meet the bridegroom. They expected the bridegroom to come. And we've been talking about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming again. And really, that is the Christian's hope. I hear people sometimes say the only hope of the church is revival or they say other things. But my reading of the Bible is such that the true hope of all real believers is the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're really looking forward to. That's what we're really pressing towards. That's what we've got in mind all the time. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. And he uses this, this um, parable to describe his coming as the coming of a bridegroom. While the bridegroom, it says there, tarried. And that's not altogether uh, on its own. If you look at John 3, you'll see that John the Baptist referred to the Lord Jesus Christ in that way. John chapter 3 in verse 29, John the Baptist said, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and hears him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is my joy. John was speaking about himself um, and his relation to the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I just mentioned that, that he's described there. He did, John the Baptist himself describes the Lord Jesus Christ as the bridegroom. And in Matthew chapter 9, we read the similar kind of thing from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15, Jesus said, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. So he's referring to himself as the bridegroom. Now I expect you've noticed that in this particular parable, there weren't only five wise virgins and five foolish virgins, but there were five things that they had in common and there were five things on which they differed. Now, in the first place, they were all virgins. They were alike. 
And that, that's number one. And that doesn't necessarily mean to say that they were true believers. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 7, That's not the chap that's not the verse I wanted. I'm sorry I've gone wrong, but there is a verse somewhere there in, in uh, Corinthians which says I thought it was eleven verse seven. But there is a verse somewhere in Corinthians which talks about um him presenting them as virgins, chaste virgins. That's what he wanted. And um and yet he knew of course that in Corinth there was a lot of wickedness. <laughs> They were they were far from being all that they ought to have been, and he reproved that wickedness. Pardon? Chapter 11, verse 2. Oh, have I got that wrong? That's silly of me, wasn't it? Verse 2. Thank you very much indeed. I'm, oh, yes, that's right. I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you all to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin in Christ. But they weren't all very chaste. Anyway, they're all virgins. That was the first thing. The second thing about them was that they all had lamps. You couldn't tell the difference. They were all virgins. They all had lamps. <coughs> I don't know whether you think that signifies any in particular, but we do read that the Bible is a lamp unto our feet. I'm quoting Psalm 119, of course. And um, we could say, in a way, they all had they all had Bibles. They all had the Word of God, or those those who professed to be wanting to meet the bridegroom at the end. They'll probably all have the Bible. Anyway, they all had lamps. Thirdly, they all went to meet the bridegroom. That's what it says in verse one. They went forth to meet the bridegroom. So, I emphasise again, they all looked alike. There was no difference between them. They all seemed to be of the same kind of person. And we do read in verse 5 that they all slumbered and slept. But when the midnight cry went up, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, Go ye out to meet him. They all arose and trimmed their lamps. So they are. There's the five things in which they're all alike. They're all virgins. They all had lamps. They all went to meet the bridegroom. They all slumped and slept. And they all trimmed, trimmed their lamps. The Lord Jesus, in talking about this story, perhaps our weddings may be a little different from this, of course. Usually, in our weddings, the bridegroom, the bridegroom goes in first and the bride comes along afterwards. But I understand this is not uncommon. And I did hear um, a missionary from India one day saying it wasn't uncommon for Indian weddings to be like this. In the Tamil region anyway, I don't know, but um, that's what he said. But anyway, we have this story of... of uh, the bridegroom being the one who comes in to the 
into the marriage. But it does say there that um, while the bridegroom tarried. Now, there is a sense, we might say, in which the bridegroom has tarried. It is true to say that centuries have passed since the Lord Jesus uttered these words. And it may seem to some that it's a long while before the Lord Jesus Christ comes. I have to say that now I'm an old man. I do remember in 1948 when the Jews went back to their own country, I really thought that the second coming would happen in my lifetime. But I suppose it's now more probable that I shall die before the Lord comes. And I certainly know that my father loved the teaching of the second coming and he did look forward to the second coming. But it never happened in his lifetime. It just didn't happen. And I can also say that both my grandfathers were exactly the same. My maternal grandfather and my paternal grandfather, they both loved the Lord's coming. They, they both loved Mr. Fromo and his teaching. When Mr. Fromo was a younger man going about speaking of these things. But the Lord didn't come in their lifetime. So in a sense you can say it has tarried, it has taken all this long time, all these centuries that have passed. And yet it hasn't tarried because God knows the exact time when his son will return from heaven. There's a predetermined date, and we don't know that date, but God knows it, and it will wait till that time. There is a little word in 2 Peter 3 which talks about um, <coughs> scoffers saying where is the promise of his coming and saying these things that I've just said really people have been falling asleep people who have looked forward to the coming of the Lord they've just died and it's never happened but the, the, the um, chapter goes on to say the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some man counts slackness. But it tells us why the Lord is waiting for a certain time to send his son from heaven. And the reason given here is that uh, he's long-suffering to us, Lord. And remember, he's writing to the elect. Peter was writing to the elect. He's long-suffering to us, Lord. Not willing that any of us, not any redeemed souls should perish but that all should come to repentance so the Lord is waiting till the whole church is gathered in and he's still gathering in people there are still people being saved we may not see much of it in our country there may not be a lot of it in the old Roman Empire area but in some places in Africa and Asia um, you know we're in the SGA is in contact with people in all parts of the world and there are people who are hungering for the word of God and there are, people, there are people being saved. It's a wonderful thing. But it is happening. And you might say as well, not in 2 Peter 3, but God is waiting to the time when Israel shall come to the time when they will 
say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. There will be a time when they shall look upon their Messiah and mourn because of him. That time is coming. They're not like that now. We pray for Israel, we love Israel, but we have to say it's a nation still in apostasy, but it will be brought. So we could say that God is waiting for that time and we could also say in a way, in a way that God is waiting, testing our faith and our faithfulness, whether we will endure to the end. You know, I've got no father here on earth to encourage me now in the things of God. And I suppose it won't be long when my children won't have a father. And uh, yet, will we all continue? Will we continue when those people who have been a help to us, and I can think, I can think of the wonderful preachers we had at our SGAT meetings when I was a young man. I loved to go. Bishop Thompson and uh, and uh, Mr. Dalling and as well as Mr. Fromo, of course, well, lots of others. Paul Connor, host of good men, and they've all gone. They've all gone. We're we're thinking about our centenary this year, and I've been thinking about some of these great men that there were in the past who who used to preach these things, and I loved it. But they've all gone and left me and. Uh, Am I going to continue to the end? God does give trials to his people to see whether they will persevere. In fact, that Matthew 24 talks about, doesn't it, in verse 13, those who endure, those who keep on. We don't, we don't see the things that the man did in the olden days. We perhaps don't have the encouragements that they have in as much as people don't seem to be interested in these things. But do we endure? Will we endure? Will we keep on? Well, if there's any tarrying, the Lord is waiting and testing our faith. But what are the five points in which these virgins were different? Well, they were different in name, really, because some were named wise, some were known as being wise, and some were foolish. And they were foolish, too. Another difference was some had oil in their lamps and others didn't take oil. Or oil in their vessels, perhaps I should say. Others didn't take oil. That's the second thing. Third thing seems to be that some had vessels with oil in it, but the foolish ones don't speak of having vessels. They had their lamps and they may have thought oil was in their lamps, but they didn't make sure but they had no replenishments. But the wise men, one wise ones, took oil in their vessels. And what was the fourth thing in which they were different? <laughs> well, it was because, really was, they had no light. The wise ones had light because there was oil in their lamps and they burned and gave them light so they could see what they were doing and where they were going. But the foolish ones didn't have any light. It all went into a flickering out because there was no oil to keep it burning. And of course the very, very solemn difference that we read of in those later verses was 
those that were ready went in to the marriage. But others came, and they were told, I know you're not, they were shut out. There was a great difference, there was no entry. No entry. Well, this parable does speak to us about the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is a fact, isn't it, that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come one day. We have his own word for that. He said in John 14, is it verse 3? He says there, if I go away, I will come again. It's a definite fact. The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. I was speaking last Lord's Day for Max 1 on um, those words to the disciples, me men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. It will happen. <laughs> it doesn't matter how much the mockers may mock and they may say, where is the promise of his coming? But it doesn't alter the fact the Lord Jesus Christ will come. He is coming again. That's a fact. And of course, this was no new doctrine. It's a thing that has been taught from olden time. We read in the book of Jude, the last book just before the Revelation, we read in the book of Jude that way back, before the flood, the second coming was preached. We don't read that in Genesis, but God, the Holy Spirit, revealed it to Jude. And he says there in verse 14, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. And what did he say? He said, Jehovah cometh with thousands, ten thousands of his saints. That's not coming to Bethlehem. Ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them, all the ungodly deeds, etc. So right from the early times, there have been those who have been preaching the second coming. And it goes right through to the end of the Bible because if you look at Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 we read there He cometh and every eye shall see him. He cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. In fact, if you go to the last chapter of the Bible chapter 22 three times three times in chapter 22 we have this emphasis. Verse 7 Behold I come quickly. That didn't mean soon. That means he's coming when he comes with speed. Um, verse 12. Behold, the same words. Behold, I come quickly. And when you go right to the end in verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. But I do think the one thing that we learn from this parable. Well, we learn it from other scriptures too. I have to emphasise that, don't I, what I said in the first place. But 
One thing we do learn from this parable, that truth will be preserved to the end. There will be wise virgins. There will be those who are wise. Daniel speaks about those that are wise, doesn't he? But there will be wise ones when the Lord Jesus Christ comes. Now that may seem almost impossible. In the current atmosphere in which we live, we would think it's almost impossible that there will ever be any Christians. There can hardly be anybody. But our nation, I believe, has been brainwashed, brainwashed against the things that we believe. And when we think of, of all that's going on in the religious leadership, you know, what is the hope of there ever being true Christians by the time the Lord Jesus Christ comes again? I've seen such a decline in my lifetime and we dread to think what could happen in the next few years. But truth will prevail. There will always be a remnant according to the election of grace. That will happen. So truth will be preserved right to the end of this age. Let us think of the solemnity of this story, shall we? The Lord Jesus Christ is coming again. Uh, and these parables here at the end of the Olivet Prophecy do indicate that there will be a division. I believe these parables speak of Christendom, all of them. I know you've probably heard lots of preachers talk about the sheep and the goats as if it's believers and unbelievers. Well, it is believers and unbelievers, of course, that the goats are typifying unbelievers. But it's speaking about Christendom, people who profess to be Christians. And it's such a solemn thing, isn't it? To think there will be people who will be shut out. Shut out. Do you know, if you go back to one of these parables in chapter 22, the parable of the... Um, the king's son. It was a very solemn thing, wasn't it? In verse 11, there were people who mocked. There were people who mocked. Didn't care about the king's invitation to the marriage. But in 11 it says, there was a man who did come in. But he didn't have a wedding garment. He didn't have what was needed. He didn't even have what was supplied. He saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He couldn't say anything. He had no answer. And that's going to be true of all those. All those who are not truly born again. They'll have no answer when they come before God. Then verse 13, look at that. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think that Bunyan shows this rather graphically, doesn't he? He talks about Mr. Ignorance who wanted to go into the celestial city. And when he met Christian Hopeful, he spoke about these things. But he hadn't got the certificate. And when he... When he wanted to go into the celestial city, when he wanted to go across the river, he got in a ferry boat. But he was taken 
and cast in the back door to hell. Bunyan had it right. What a solemn thing for a man to be a professor of religion and to be cast into hell. In uh, the chapter 24, this previous chapter, of course, we have this story of this servant. In um, verse 48, If that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord, delay his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cast him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. What a terrible thing to be with the hypocrites. What an awful thing it is to be with a hypocrite. We can convince other people perhaps, even godly men, we might convince them that we're true believers. But if we're hypocrites, we're cast out. The door is shut. It's a very solemn thing, isn't it? Oh, I think it's a very solemn word. In verse 12, the answer to these people, when they came and said, Lord, Lord, open to us, his reply was, I know you not. I know you not. I have heard a story, and I can't remember if there was any name attached to it or whether it was just an old Christian. I think it was... A, story about an old lady, Christian lady. And when she was dying, the vicar came to her and said to her about, um, does she know the Lord? And she replied to the vicar and she says, I know better than that, he knows me. (laughs) And it's a precious thing, isn't it, if we're known of God. That's what it says in John 10, next month's subject. I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. I know them. If God knows us, that's a wonderful thing. Well, that's what we read here. They knew not. And here's the foolishness of these five virgins in the way that they did behave in going to meet the bridegroom, putting on all the show as if they were wanting to see the bridegroom, and yet really they weren't ready because they had no oil. It was really extreme foolishness, wasn't it? I mean, they knew that the bridegroom was coming. They expected him to come. It wasn't as if there's a possibility that he wouldn't come. He would be coming to his wedding. They knew that. And yet they weren't prepared. They knew. They must have known. That they needed oil for their lamps. But they didn't bother to make sure they had it. What extreme foolishness that all was. And we could go on, couldn't we? How foolish it was to want to come in. Lord, Lord, open to us. When they weren't real. They weren't ready. 
And what a sad day it will be. You know, Spurgeon writes on that text, aren't they become as one of us? And he puts it very graphically, the way in which there will be those who will be cast into hell. He talks about psalm singing Methodists and other people who have put on such a good profession. But if there's no reality in it, or as my father used to say, if they were not possessors but mere professors, it would be no good on that day. No good at all. And you could mourn, weep, couldn't you, for the people that are misled. You know, we have in the world today people who are willingly blowing themselves up. And they think they're getting to heaven by doing it. They think they'll be received because they're, they're destroying, as they think, the infidels. Very often it's Christians and Jews. That's the way in which Islam works. And people get convinced about this and they're willing to be suicide bombers. Isn't that what they're called? Suicide bombers. And they're misled. Because when they get there, the door will be shut. I think of these poor people that go to Romish places and they're told to do things that will get them out of purgatory. And it's all lies. Lies. And when they get to, to eternity, the door will be shut. You know, we've been thinking a lot about Martin Luther, haven't we? And how he was told in his early years that if he did this or if he did that, penances or crawling up the stairs and so on, and it all about nothing. And you think of Thomas Bilney here in our own country, what he was told, and told not to read the Bible. But one day he did take the Bible down and he saw that wonderful text, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I love that story. But there are people who don't get to read in the Bible. And there are people who don't come to see that justification is by faith, that just shall live by faith. And they die believing the lies of Popery. But you could say it about all false religion, couldn't you? <coughs> you know, these these men who are bishops and archbishops who are saying all kinds of things to people in these days and people believe them it's sad isn't it but the door will be shut it's solemn very very solemn and very very awful these foolish virgins they did want the oil but they hadn't got it. They wanted to go into the marriage, but they couldn't. And it's true, isn't it, that there will be those who will want, but it's all too late. Perhaps people who have sat under faithful gospel preaching for years have never known what it is to be truly converted. And they come to the end. 
and they need. I, I can't help thinking of the story of Esau. You know, he lightly despised his birthright, sold it for a, some soup. When it came to the time of wanting the blessing, he was weeping. He cried. Give me a blessing, he said to Isaac. But it was all too late. And Hebrews tells us, doesn't it, about him. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that he wanted the blessing. Verse 16, I think it is. Um, he wanted the blessing, but he was rejected. These are all very, very solemn things. Likewise, it's interesting to note in this story, isn't it, that the wise couldn't give to the foolish. Now, there are those who teach, as you know, that um, the saints, if you pray to them, they can give you some of their grace. They've got bonuses and they can give it to you. But it, the truth is, it doesn't happen like that at all. We can't receive from other people. Our standing before God before God is something which is personal, very personal. I don't know what you think, but I think it was very wise of the wise virgins to say, go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. But of course it was too late. But wise preachers tell people to go to the Lord Jesus Christ and buy. I'm thinking of Isaiah 55. You know, it's a lovely verse, isn't it? It's without money and without price. <laughs> and that's the truth of the gospel. It's absolutely free. It's all the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, for these virgins, it was a shut door. I hope that won't be so of any of us. These are solemn things. And just lastly, the sermon. The Lord Jesus Christ said in verse 13, Watch, watch, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. That wasn't an unusual thing for the Lord Jesus Christ to say, and you will know, of course, that in chapter 24, verse 42, he says there, watch, watch. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has taught us to watch. Now, what do we watch? Do we stand gazing up into heaven to see when the Lord will come? Is that the kind of watchfulness the Lord expects of us? I don't think so. You know, in, the, in this very prophecy, in chapter 24, verse 32, he says, Learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put his forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even the doors. These things that he has said, and these things that we have in the Bible, these things that have been taught by our SGAT preachers over the last hundred years, when we see these things coming to pass, because they're biblical things, it's what the scriptures teach, when we see these things coming to pass, we shall know. I expect a reformation of the European community. We expect some countries that were not in the Roman Empire to go out 
like Ireland, for instance, and the north of Scotland. And perhaps we can see that these things could easily happen even soon. We don't know. We don't know. But England and the south of Scotland were in the Roman Empire. Germany would be out, you see, and Scandinavian countries. I expect that to happen. And then, of course, I expect the Antichrist to arise. These things must happen. Then I expect what the Lord Jesus Christ says here in Matthew 24 and verse 15, that he will put the idol, the abomination of desolation, which Daniel spoke about, he will put that in the temple, which, of course, is at Jerusalem. It will be at Jerusalem. There will be a temple at Jerusalem. That's not there yet. These things will happen. Well, Jesus said, when you see these things come to pass, all these things that are spoken of in the word of God, then you'll know that the coming of the Lord is very nigh. So far we have this pressure for a united Europe. It's great pressure, we've seen that, over this Brexit vote, as they call it. And we've seen Israel go back to their own land. But there are other things that have got to come to pass. The Bible tells us that they will come to pass. And they're the things that we should be watching. Watching day by day. You might say, it's very easy to watch. All Christians could be watching. <laughs> but the truth is, all Christians aren't watching. And the sad thing is, there has been false teaching about these very words here in the Olivet Prophecy. You can hardly understand it, can you? But there have been those who have taught that all these things were fulfilled in AD 70. Well, I can't see how that could have been because it says there in verse 30, as we've read, that they would see the Son of Man in coming. They'll see him. They're coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That didn't happen in AD 70. But what a malaise it's brought into the Christian church. People have thought these things for which we should be watching have all happened in AD 70. Preachers, <coughs> preachers say so, so it must be true. And they're not watching. People aren't watching. I like the emphasis on the word ye, don't you? In verse 13 of chapter 25, watch therefore... For ye, ye, it's a, a word for you, ye should be watching. And that's not altogether unusual, is it? You'll see that word ye coming up several times in the prophecy. Well, we've talked about the fig tree, haven't we, in verse 32. When the fig tree put its forth its leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye shall see all these things. And in verse 30, therefore, that's verse 44, therefore be ye also ready. It's something that we ought to do. It's for us to take notice of. Make sure that whatever other people do, that we are watching. It's wonderful really that just on a hundred years ago when our Sovereign Grace Advent Testimony was formed. There were men who got together and said, 
We'll arrange meetings, that was what the original statement was about, arranging meetings for the teaching of these things. But they said too, it'd be nice to have our own magazine. Now there was a magazine, Light for Perilous Times, which was being edited by Mr Hunt. It was entirely um, following what John Cox had done in Old Truths, the previous magazine. And that was really following what Horatius Bonner had done in um, the journal of the Quarterly Journal of Prophecy. There had been a continuation of magazines making making the testimony to the things that are most surely believe amongst us. But when in 1918 they formed the SJT, which was in November, it wasn't long. In 1919 they decided to bring out a magazine. And that would be incorporating Light of Perilous Times and Mr Hunt, who who was the editor of that, he became the first editor of the new magazine. And he advertised the new magazine in the old Light of Perilous Times magazines. But when they gave it a name, they called it Watching and Waiting. And that's a lovely title, isn't it? Watching and Waiting. And through these hundred years, there have been people who have been reading the scriptures trying to understand what God has said and they've been watching and waiting well for some of them they're not longer watching they're not longer waiting they've been received up into glory but we're left here and we continue to watch and to wait and that's what the Lord Jesus Christ preached about the ten virgins you're to walk.